please welcome Alex Hillman from Indy Hall. See, you guys are the ones that decided to stick around at the end of the day. Like, you're the ones that actually hung out all until the end. And so I'm really thankful. Uh, and because you stuck around to the end, I'm going to give you two talks for the price of one. Um, on the website, and you know, Gerard worked with me to come up with a talk topic. I'm going to talk about how ideas are a crappy place to start your business from, and you should really be working with customers. Um, I'm going to boil for like a 40-minute talk down to one piece of advice. And then I'm going to talk about something else that I actually think is a whole lot more important, given what I've heard over the last 24 hours since I got here. Um, so what I mean by business is, well, actually, let's start, let's back up. How many of you, uh, how many of you know what co-working is? A show of hands. All right, how many of you have actually worked in a co-working space? A couple of people? OK, cool. So, um, so my name is Alex Hillman. Uh, I work on a lot of different things. Uh, the thing I'm most commonly known for is the, the, I'm the co-founder of a co-working space in Philadelphia called Indie Hall. Uh, we're not the first, we're not the biggest, but I like to think that we're one of the best. Uh, and we've spent a lot of time sharing our lessons in community building in the workplace uh, over the last six years. Um, a little bit more about me. I did go to Drexel University in Philadelphia, dropped out a few years in. I do have a background in software development, although as Gerard pointed out yesterday, it's pretty common to forget that I'm a developer. Um, uh, hired guns, uh, you know, people asking, where do you make your money? And a lot of the money that I'm making over the last few years has been coming from working with companies that have an objective or a goal uh, that they don't know how to do. So maybe it's a, a role that they've never had before uh, and they need some help carving out that role so somebody else can come in and take it over long term. Or sometimes it's a team or, or, or something along those lines. So uh, I'm an unusual type of consultant in the fact that if I'm doing a really good job, I'm working myself out of a job. Um, so that's what I like to call myself hired guns. I'm also an entrepreneur, and I, I hate the word entrepreneur because it's loaded with connotation. For me, uh, that means that I make things. Um, and if you make things, you're an entrepreneur. It's really that simple. Um, I also love to write, and I love to speak to rooms like this one. Uh, if you're interested in you know, getting in touch with me after this talk, uh, Alex knows HTML on Twitter, or you can email me, alex at Indy Hall. Um, but back to that, uh, you know, the where, where should businesses come from? And I think, uh, how many people here either work for or run like a consultancy uh, of some sort? Okay. And how many people w of that group would like to have, you know, a product that your business sells? You know, some passive income, that's pretty sweet, right? So the problem with, uh, the problem with moving, the most cha common challenge with moving from a consultancy type business to a product based business is that a consultancy, you're being paid for your ideas most of the time. A company's bringing you in, they say well, we need to do this and it's your ideas and ultimately your execution of those ideas that you're getting paid for. But with a customer, uh, the customers of a product based business are a little bit different where uh, if you spend all your time talking about what your product is going to do, they do not care enough to open their wallets and give you money. Uh, instead, you need to be thinking about what your product's going to let them do and talk about what their, what the product, how the product's going to help them kick ass. So in order to do that, you really need to know who your customer is going to be. And that's why I believe that the best way to start a product-based business is not with all of your ideas, but instead to really dig deep into who a customer base that you want to know and you want to work with is, find out what pain they have, and come up with a business that can support helping them kick ass. And that's a 40-minute talk condensed down into 90 seconds. But um, the thing that I really want to talk about, and sort of, I want to riff on a bunch of the things that came up during Jen's Q&A and some stuff that uh, you know, I heard in talking with people last night and over the course of today, and, and that's you know, where community comes from. And one of the reasons that Gerard reached out to me, the reason Gerard and I even know each other, uh, is through co-working and the fact that we've been active not just in building the co-working and the technology creative business community, ultimately the, the communities that, um, you know, that are represented here today in Philadelphia, but also have worked to bring together the co-working community, people that do co-working uh, all around the world. And so 
you know, the, the, the last section of Q&A where people saying, well, how, how do we get people together that don't normally get together? Um, and I realized that I actually have some really interesting experience in going from not knowing where to find people to having a great place where I can find people every day. Uh, and so I wanted to tell you that story of how that's gone um, and then open up for discussion because I think I, one of the things that I felt in that, that Q&A was that people really want this for Cincinnati and I'm hoping that my experience and lessons could potentially help some of the people in this room help make the Cincinnati tech, creative, business, marketing, writing, da 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 da, da, da community totally awesome, right? So, um, to, to unwind this story all the way back to the beginning, um, let's talk about 2006. So in 2006, I was working for an agency, not unlike many people here, um, as, as a web developer. And I was exposed to this community of people uh, who, were, who were making things online. And these were designers, they were developers, they were writers, they were marketers, they were business people, again, a lot like the people in this room today. And I said, wow, what an amazing what an amazing way to sort of use technology and the internet as, as sort of craftspeople. We can make stuff. And I, it, was in, it was at that time working at that agency that I decided that's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Um, and I wanted to work on things that I really cared about with people that really cared about what they were, what they were working on as well. Um, so and I had that at this really incredible agency. Uh, where you know all of the coworkers uh, really felt more like a family. You know, we had all these complementary skills like you would tend to have at an agency, and we really enjoyed the clients and the projects that we had to work on. Um, but outside of work, uh, it was it was hard to find other people like us. So in late 2006, when I decided to go out on my own as a freelancer, um, I was met with a really really big challenge, and that challenge was how do I have the diversity of and the experiences of having coworkers without um, you know, without having to work for somebody, because I wanted to be working, working on my own. I wanted to be able to choose and have that freedom. And so um, while I was having no problem finding work, I was having a really hard time finding local collaborators. In fact, it was easier for me to find people to work with in any city other than Philadelphia, which was really disheartening. And so I did what you know, any geek would do, is I looked to, look to the west. And I see you know, San Francisco, and I go, that's where they're all hanging out. Um, and honestly, I could spot, you know, I could spot nerds from 3,000 miles away, but I couldn't find them in my own backyard, and that was a big problem for me. So, um, one of the groups of people that I had, had connected with was a, a couple that had started a company called Citizen Agency. Uh, and Citizen Agency was uh, founded in the principles of helping companies bring community to their products. So this is, again, we're talking 2006, 2007. So this is commonplace now and sort of what we're thinking about is you know, social media, th that end of marketing. This was, this was ahead of its time. Um, but what was important for me was I met these people and the way they were talking about communities interacting with businesses was very, very different from the way I had heard it before in the fact that it was actually about sort of gen you know, having your, your customers genuinely care about each other as much as they cared about, if not more than they cared about your product and that being the value of having a community. And that was what I thought, but I'd never heard anybody say it, let alone seen anybody do it. And so connecting with Chris Messina and Tara Hunt of Citizen Agency um, sort of exposed me to this, this style of, of community where it was really about people caring about each other in the context of a product or a business. Um, and it's no surprise that they're also some of the people that helped catalyze things like bar camp. Uh, how many people have been to a bar camp? How many people do not know what a bar camp is? So bar camp, this is cool. So bar camp, imagine an event like today where there was no schedule, there was no set speakers, and everyone that showed up at the event that day went up to a grid on the wall, and the grid had times and locations. And anyone who shows up to the event can write down their name and a topic that they either want to talk about or they want to hear about. 
So the cool thing about a bar camp is it's completely self-organizing and you don't even need to be the person with the knowledge to present to decide that's one of the things that we should talk about. And so the schedule self-organizes and the people come and they basically throw their own conference. Um, and this is a really incredible mechanism that I think is a phenomenal complement to you know, the well-organized and curated events like, like the one you guys have experienced for the last two days. Um, but the, the beautiful thing about the way they, they organize bar camp and then subsequently co-working and the idea of, of having these sort of community workspaces uh, was they, they did sort of the basic framework. They came up with the, the way you could execute it. And then they sort of open sourced something that wasn't software. They said, here's how we did it. Go ahead and do it. And if you want to do it just like we did, that's cool. You can call it the same thing. We've even got logos. But if you make it better, it would be really helpful if you contributed those ideas back so that other communities can learn from what we've collectively learned. And so that, that was sort of my introduction to this, this new way of sharing, this new way of experiencing communities that would allow them to sort of proliferate and grow in a very natural and organic way. Um, so meeting Christmas in Tara Hunt, Citizen Agency, the other thing they did was created Citizen Space. So Citizen Agency was a consulting firm that ended up renting an office that was bigger than it needed. The benefit to this was they were able to subsidize their rent by inviting a couple of other you know, individuals or companies from, down, you know, from uh, the Soma area in San Francisco to you know, share office space. And they had interesting friends and you'd have people from you know, hot startups all over the valley dropping in and you could meet interesting people. And it became sort of this, cl this clubhouse um, that was uh, sort of akin to what you would have in a coffee shop where you could bump into interesting people and learn things and share ideas, um, but you didn't have sort of the, the pressure of a coffee shop where you feel like you need to caffeinate yourself in order to stay there for eight hours. Um, so it's a slightly different context. Um, and so I saw them doing this co-working thing and I was like, that seems like a really great way to have a place where it's really easy to meet smart, interesting people who want to create things on the internet, which is ultimately people like me. Um, and so my plan was to go to San Francisco and, and spend time with them and work at Citizen Space and work with Citizen Agency and see how co-working worked there. And then I was going to bring it back to Philadelphia because clearly they knew what they were doing and Philadelphia needed this really, really badly. Um, so uh, what ended up happening wasn't that. Um, instead, the, the job that was going to pay for my relocation ended up getting, uh, I basically, I wasn't comfortable. I was going to move myself and my girlfriend 3,000 miles across the country and they couldn't answer some very basic questions like where I should live. Um, and that was a problem for me. Uh, and so I said, you know what, thanks but no thanks. I don't think the time is right. Uh, I'm going to stay here in Philadelphia and, and figure things out. And while it was a, probably the hardest decision I've made in, in, in my life um, to not sort of pursue this dream, it was one of the most important and one of the best because the, the sort of the pit of despair that it sent me into was an opportunity to reflect and say, why was I trying to leave the city of Philadelphia in the first place? And I realized it wasn't because I didn't have work. It wasn't because my friends weren't there. It was because I, I, I didn't see people like me. It was too hard to find people like me. And so if I could find at least a couple of people like me, I wouldn't need to leave Philadelphia. Um, and, and better yet, I would have, I would have, you know, I could in, in a way own it, not own it, but I would like, I'd be at the top of the food chain. I would know all the people that need to know. Like, if I go to San Francisco, I'm a small fish in a very big pond. But I figure this out. In my little city of Philadelphia, you know, we can run this town together. And so, um, and so I did all I could think to do, and that was go out and meet people and find people. And you know, I heard in, in the last talk and over the last couple of days, people talking about different meetup groups and events that are going on. And, and at, at this time in, in Philadelphia, we had some of these things that were starting to spin up, um, but 
uh, it, was, it sounded very similar to what's here, where things are a little bit fragmented. People aren't necessarily sure uh, you know, what they are and when they are and how to get there and who's there. And, and it, was, it was a bit fragmented. But I sort of looked past that and said, I don't care, because if there's, if there's people there, uh, I, I want to meet them. And so I basically used meetup groups like watering holes in a safari. And it was really easy to go find a, a, a pot of people you know, that, were, that were circling around the watering hole. And what I found was those people I was looking for, those smart, interesting, creative people that wanted to do cool things on the internet. And I found out something really interesting that a lot of them had also been looking for cool, interesting, smart people that want to do creative things on the internet. And, um, and so I said, well, I'm looking for that. You're looking for that. Let's look for that together. And that was really the foundation of what's become the, the tech creative business, whatever you want to call it, the, the, the community that I belong to uh, in Philadelphia. And so you know, one person and two people starts to get together. And then two people, they find two other people. And now you're four people. And it's sort of like cellular division, where all of a sudden, without a ton of work, you've got 15 to 20 people that are getting together on a regular basis to talk about what they're working on, what things are good, what things are bad, what they would like to see more of, some interesting things that they learned. We're learning, we're sharing, we're doing together. Um, and, and quite frankly, we were addicted to it. So we were looking for more ways to do it than the meetup groups that were already being provided. So we came up with some ideas of our own. And one of those was, uh, was well, let's, let's work together every Friday. So a lot of us were working from home or from cafes. And, uh, and sometimes you know, uh, from, each, from our own offices. We said, well, let's pick Fridays. And every Friday, we're going to go work from somewhere different. Instead of working alone, we'll work on things together. Uh, and this was an opportunity to see people in their element of working. It went from being socializing to being productive. We could be productive together. And what we learned is that, that was, those were some of the best days of work that we had. We were having a really great time. We ha when you had that moment where you're like, I'm stuck, you didn't have to say stuck for more than a couple of seconds because you could turn to a person who wasn't your coworker, who wasn't your boss, and say, am I being an idiot? And they go, yes, you're being an idiot. Here's what you need to do. And having that relationship with even a small group of people changed the way we got things done. Uh, the other beautiful thing is we're, we became this very small critical mass of people that were talking about each other and what we were doing. And that a little bit of extra signal in all of the noise allowed other people to find us more easily. And so now we're combating the problem of how do you find people like you? Well, by having a critical mass, even a small critical mass, of people that are like-minded, we were able to, to combat the inability to find people through all of the noise. And so it was at that point that one of the members of this every Friday work session that we had uh, said to me, you know, it'd be really cool if we could do this every day. And I said, that co-working thing that my friends were doing in San Francisco is a way to do exactly what we're doing every day. And think about the experience you've had here over the last two days. How many people have learned something that they can apply you know, on Monday when you go into work? Right? How many people have met somebody new and interesting? OK, imagine if you could do that every single day. How would that change how you feel about work, how you feel about getting up in the morning, how you feel about what's going to happen at 5 o'clock when you're done with work? And this changes your perspective on everything that you're spending your days doing. Because that's, that's effectively what we have built for ourselves, is the opportunity to have people coming in and always, always be learning something new, always be meeting somebody new, and, and being able to fold that into our daily practice. And so we looked at the models of what had been done with co-working on the West Coast. And there had been a couple of uh, you know, uh, iterations of this in, in New York as well. Uh, and the problem with all of them is they were one of two models. Either they were, um, you know, they were sort of a, a rented desk, which really wasn't what we wanted. We wanted, we built a club. We wanted a clubhouse. 
So we didn't really want to rent a desk because it wasn't ours. We were renting somebody else's thing. And we didn't want, um, uh, I lost my train of thought. We didn't want to rent a desk. Uh, oh, we also didn't want the, 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 like the sugar daddy model, where an agency would come in and say, well, we've got some extra space. You guys can use it. Because the problem there, apart from it still not being ours, is when they decide they need it for something else, we're out on the streets. And so we looked at all the models and said, we think we can do better, and came up with a model for, uh, for, for what became Indy Hall uh, that, was, uh, that was something that could sustain itself. It was a membership-supported community workspace. And the key there is that the community was bigger than the workspace. Indy Hall is a place. It's got an address. You can go to it. But because it's got all of this story and community powering it, it's not just a place. It, it falls beyond the walls of the what's now almost 10,000 square feet that we occupy. Um, mind you, we didn't start at 10,000 square feet. So the first office that we rented was, was, was pretty modest. Um, what was interesting about it, though, was uh, one of the biggest challenges with, with a, a community space like this is you know, where do you put it? Um, and, and by having a group of community members that wanted this, that had expressed interest in this, we were able to ask them the questions that we would have to sort of, you know, philosophize over. Uh, we're saying, where do you want it? How much are you willing to pay for it? We could run actual numbers against, you know, localized rents and how many people were going to be around, uh, and and choose a location. And so we chose a location. It was about 1,800 square feet, uh, and we we actually pre-signed uh, 20 or so members before we even signed a lease. And these are the people that were hungry. Remember what I was saying with my other talk that I gave for 90 seconds about having people that you were going to help them kick ass? These people knew that this was going to help them kick ass. So they were literally not, you know, calling me every day, emailing me every day, and saying, when, do, when are we going to have our clubhouse? You know, take my money. Shut up and take my money. Um, and those 20 people not only helped us find a location, but they helped us you know, figure out what it was supposed to look like. What would it need? It needs desk, chair, power, internet. What else? We don't know yet. We'll figure that out when we get there. And so by having a community space like this, not only did, were we able to continue that daily learning and that daily sharing and that daily meeting of people, but we were able to figure out what kind of place we needed and wanted to connect as our community grew. Because as soon as you have a physical place, you, like, people are going to find you even easier. Before we were roaming around, now I've got an address where people go, oh, I, you know, where are you going? I'm going to go hang out at Indy Hall. Well, what's that? Oh, it's this, you know, it's this working space where people you know, get work done, but they work for themselves. And you should come check it out. And that thing starts cycling and cycling. And so inside of 18 months, the space that we had rented, thinking that you know, we had enough for ourselves, it was full. We had a waiting list out the door. Um, but most importantly, the, the people, you know, we, have, we have a waiting list. Clearly, these people aren't waiting for workspace because there's plenty of other places they can go work. What they were waiting for was the ability to become a part of this community. And so I, that, that wasn't OK with me. When people want to be a part of a community, I want them to be able to. So we said, well, if the community wants us to grow, we grow. And we'll figure out how to be able, how to, be able to scale it. But you have to you know, vote with your participation and ultimately your dollars. Uh, and the community members said, we're into it. They actually they found our second space. They helped us decide, yes, we should do this. They helped recruit all the new members, so on and so forth. Beyond that, we rent the space. And they come in, they help paint the, the, paint the walls, set up the desks, choose the furniture, choose the lighting, choose the art that goes in the walls. Because they weren't moving into a place to work. They were creating a place to meet and be. It was theirs. Three years later, this is actually uh, three years, uh, what is this, uh, three years a, a week ago. Um, we announced that we were, we were going to be expanding. 
And so you know, it took us three years to fill up this. Uh, we went from 1,800 square feet to about 4,800 square feet, so about tripled in size. Um, and as of uh, last week, we are uh, moving into, like I said, almost 9,000 square feet. And the community has grown to over 200 members that are on our monthly paying roster. Um, but beyond that, the, the members of the Philadelphia community know that there's a place that can be theirs, that they can be a part of, they can contribute to, they can meet, they can share, and they can learn. Um, the, the really exciting thing about this is along the way, we, we realized something and that the path to a better place to work isn't better desks or a better office or a better location or faster internet or cool art on the walls or funky music or video games or any of those things that companies will try and throw at you to make a workplace cool. The key to a better workplace is better coworkers. And we had figured out a way to have the best coworkers in the world because everyone was there because they wanted to be. They wanted each other more than they wanted a place to work. Uh, and the beautiful thing about realizing that is now we have the opportunity to apply that idea and say, well, what else can we make better? by you know, helping form the club and then giving it a place to spend time. Uh, and so about a year ago, we announced a project that we're, we're sort of taking the lessons we learned from developing community and then giving it a place uh, to, to apply it to a neighborhood. And so we're actually building a community-based house uh, for, for 10 people uh, with the goal of uh, really inwardly focusing on changing the experience of what it's like to be a neighbor in a house and seeing how that can spill out onto the streets and impact the experience of living in a neighborhood. Because working at Indy Hall absolutely changes your perspective on, on how you work in your, and what your industry is and can be. So if, if uh, Indy Hall is not about a better place to work but about better coworkers, then our co-housing project, which is called Kahouse, like Kaboom, Kahouse uh, is not about a better place to live but about better neighbors. And we're starting to take this process and going, well, what else can we throw it at? What else can we throw it at? And so we're looking at other cities and other communities. And, and mind you, I think the reason I was excited to have an opportunity to talk about this today is because our model isn't franchising. There's no way I can go into another city and say, we're setting up in an indie hall in anywhere except for Philadelphia and maybe Indianapolis because of our name. That's it. What we need to do is make sure that we have opportunities to connect with great communities like this one that clearly have expressed the desire to get together and say, what do you need in order to get together? How far away from having a clubhouse are you? Or if you do have a clubhouse, can you change how you're using it? And one of the reasons that I'm even here today is because I've known Gerard through co-working and the global co-working community for the last four years. Is that right? Almost four years. So I, I want to stop talking. <laughs> And, and see if you guys have any ideas or questions about what things you want to do, what things you can do, or maybe you know, more about what we did if you want more specifics, uh, to try and make the community really strong, really resilient, and, and ultimately continue to grow because it's able to find itself. That's really what the process we've gone through. It's been helping a community find itself. So I'll open it up to hands. Yeah. Yep. Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. So as communities grow, there's two two main factors that usually challenge growth. One is the speed. When you're adding lots of people really quickly, it's really difficult for people to take the time to get to know each other. I remember what I talked about. You know, that was really the core of what we were doing was helping people get to know each other. And the difference between a group of people and a community is the foundation of trust that allows you to form a relationship. And if people don't have the time 
to build trust and form a relationship. You don't have a community. You just have a mass of people that maybe know each other. And so with the goal of community, you need to, like pacing is, is a really big challenge. And every time we've grown faster than whatever you would quantify normal as, um, we've experienced problems. And problems as bad as theft. Um, and it's not that somebody got in that shouldn't have. It was that we grew so, fa so fast that people didn't know what weird looked like anymore. People didn't know what odd was. Um, people didn't have the opportunity to get to know all the people around them, and so a lot of our social trust systems broke down and people forgot that they were responsible for each other. Um, the other thing about growth that's really interesting is, uh, you know, there's, there's uh, Dunbar's number is 149 people in a community, theoretically, uh, as a maximum that can preserve what you would consider strong ties in a community. Uh, and once you break 149, there's natural fragmentation. It's going to happen. It's inevitable. And as a lot of regional tech communities grow, uh, depending on who the leaders are, there's a, a tendency to try and like squeeze sand. And the community ends up sort of running through their fingers instead of being more cohesive, which is ultimately what they want. And so what we noticed was we broke 150 members, and I expected everything to fall apart. Actually, I never expected us to break like 50 people. That, like, when we broke 50 people, I was like, what's going on here? Um, but uh, the what we realized once we broke the numbers is something must have happened. What didn't we notice? And one of the things that we had introduced in sort of the, the range of 100 to 150 members uh, was we introduced a program called we call Night Owls. And Night Owls was for the people who have full-time jobs or just prefer to work nocturnally uh, as a way to access the workspace after hours because we're, we're, we're not staffed after hours, but people who have day jobs that like to work on their side projects wanted all the same things that we were offering to people who don't have day jobs, um, but there was no place for them to do it and there weren't people for them to do it. So, well, this is an obvious opportunity for us, so let's figure out a way and, and ramp up slowly. So our, our prototype was one night a week, and it took us like five months to get it right, and once it got traction, it took off like a rocket. And what was interesting was about four months into Night Owls, one of the people who stepped up to help us run the Night Owls program also happened to be one of our founding members, and he was around from those days before we had our own space. And one night we were hanging out and Jason said to me, you know, I really love Night Owls. It, it, it feels like old Indie Hall. And my first reaction was, oh God, he doesn't like new Indie Hall. But as soon as I got over that, I was like, no, 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 this is a good thing. This means that we can have that, that old Indie Hall experience. What he was really talking about was the, the close-knitness of having a smaller community. And what we had unknowingly done was created a sub-community that people could have uh, uh, its own identity, its own community members. People could say, well, I'm a member of Indie Hall, Umbrella, but I mostly go to Night Owls. And it's not that they're a member of a, of a, of a different kind of Indie Hall. It was more that they were you know, a sub-community. Um, and what we, re we realized the opportunity for growth was in identifying those sort of natural fragments, making sure that as an organization, Indie Hall provides them all the things that they need to grow and be resilient and strong. Uh, as their own standalone community, but knowing well that so long as we're there for them early on, they're going to be there for us long term. Um, and the, the metaphor, because I, lo I love nature metaphor. Nature's so smart. Nature's way smarter than we are. Nature created this thing called the banyan tree. And the banyan tree looks kind of like a weeping willow, where its branches go up and they come down all you know curvy-like, right? But the banyan's crazy. The banyan branches come down, they go back into the ground, they become roots for another tree. And so you look at a forest of banyan trees, and it's actually 
you know, one or a very small number of single organisms, but it operates sort of like this network. And what's really cool is, as the, the, the for, as a forest of banyan trees is, is starting to grow, the sort of parent tree provides nutrients to help the younger trees grow in soil that maybe wouldn't be susceptible to a young tree being able to thrive. But because it's able to provide those nutrients, the, tr the tree can grow to a stage where it can be strong enough to survive on its own and ultimately create more banyan trees. Um, the, the really interesting thing is within that network, if, if uh, one of the parent trees gets sick, the child trees will then funnel extra nutrients back to help that tree heal. So we sort of look at, at community growth in a very similar way, where um, all of these sort of sub-organisms as these sub-communities, if we help them grow, basically come at them like parents almost, um, help them grow to be strong, they're going to be around to take care of us long term, so long as we make sure that they're not feeling like they're on the outside of the community because they're a part of the sub-community. We make the sub-community a part of the whole. Um, and so far that's worked really well, and I think that's going to, you know, even Kahouse is another example of how we're saying, well, not everybody needs a place to work. So what about the people who want to be a part of a community, but you know, need a place to, there's way more people that need a place to live than a place to work from. So I think this you know, blows out the walls on the amount of people that we can be a part of. And so when you think about community that way, um, it allows you to, uh, to grow. There's one other point I want to make about that is um, what's been really fun is as these sub-communities grow and mature, it's not just parent indie hall. It's not just like me and my business partner and our, our staff that help them out. It's the leaders of other groups, right? So when you start, so Indie Hall has been this place where people can get, individuals can get together and learn and share. But the beautiful thing is when these sort of sub-communities or organizations or even you know, businesses and companies and partnerships that form, when they help each other, it's sort of like a mirror of the individual relationships. But the individual relationships were the foundation that allowed them to even realize that that's a great way to get work done. So I, I don't think that you can try. I think that I don't think that you can stop them. I think that we're, we're tribal creatures, and we we, we create, and we um, we or, we self-organize, and if we feel threatened, we protect. So I think the best thing that you can do is work to support. Um, the, the, the biggest challenge is with the leaders. The, the members of us, of a community, the the, the worst they're going to do is feel a, a huge sense of pride for their segment of the community, and maybe talk some smack. Um, but that's that's and I've seen that happen and it's you know it's it is what it is and you can't do a whole lot about it. But the key is uh, working with the leaders of those subcommunities. And uh, one of our goals with Indie Hall is to help people become great leaders. And so one of the things that I'm always looking for are people who um, one of the big one of the most common reasons that people tend to get protective is because what they really want is to be a leader. They don't really care about all the other people. They're so dead set on being the leader. And the best leader is the unwilling one. The best leader is the person who wants it so bad but absolutely would die before they became the leader. And if you can convince that person to be the leader, you end up avoiding a lot of the protectionism and a lot of the fiefdoms and things like that because that person doesn't care about protecting their leadership and their little clique. They care about the other people because that's what they're there for, not, not for their own personal interests. What else? Yeah? And presumably you have like, small teams of people working out there. How do you deal with like, uh, growth as a team is like, just on creating a victory, but they, uh, you know, they really want to remain part of the community? Sure. Kind of, like, have a 
buffer yeah. space? Or so we were talking about this a little bit. Right, right, right. So um, the, the, there's sort of two, two ways that teams get involved in these sort of community workspaces. One is when an existing team comes in. So let's say you've got a team of three plus, um, and they want to be a part of the community. Uh, and and that, that's challenging because they already have a little bit of a community of their own, right? They don't have the same needs as the individuals who don't have coworkers because they already have coworkers, which means they're there for something else. Not necessarily anything nefarious, it's just something different. Um, and so what we've learned is that when, when, when teams like that come into a community like this, uh, the, the best thing that we can do is sort of <laughs> is to separate them, honestly, um, and, and work Indie Hall into the cracks a little bit and work the community into the cracks. And so what we've learned over uh, trials and errors um, is a couple of techniques. One is to require them to sit in different places, allowing them to like hole up in a corner or in an office really defeats the purpose. They're, 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 they're going to fall into their old habits. And the reason that people go to private offices is because they think that's what they need. Uh, well, a lot of times people come to Indie Hall and they'll say, well, I have a team, so I need a private office. I say, well, why do you need a private office? They said, because I have a team. I said, that's not a problem. That's a great, that's a great thing. I said, private offices solve a problem. What's the problem that you have? And they don't even know what the problem that they have is that they need a private team. They just think that they're supposed to have a private office because they're a team. right? So. Those guys are challenging, but we've said, you know, if you guys are willing to sit in different places, I think it's going to improve the experience of the individuals, and you're all going to benefit from you know, interacting with Indie Hall members as individuals. The other thing that we've done is actually phase in members. So in an example of, let's say, there's, there's uh, three team members. Uh, instead of them all coming in at once, They'll, we'll phase them in. So the first member joins week one, then two weeks later, we'll phase in the second one. And the first person that's already joined becomes the ambassador for the second one, making sure that they know the lay of the land and are introducing the people. Two weeks later, we introduce the third one. So by phasing them in, there's no opportunity for them to come in sort of as this unit, either perceived or for real. Um, and their, 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 their interactions with the other members are fundamentally different. The other point, which goes back to, I think, what your original question is, is what happens as companies grow? And I think the reality is, is that at a certain size, a company really needs to get its own workplace because it has its own culture. If you've done a great job, your community's DNA is part of that company's culture, which ultimately is like my, my, my vision for co-working right now is not that everyone in the world can work from a co-working space because for many, many, many reasons, it's just not practical. But my hope is that the future leaders of the most powerful companies maybe the most powerful governments in the world, spent some time early in their career working from a co-working space, a member of a community like the ones that we're talking about, because I think it fundamentally changes the way you think about who you work with and how you work with them. And if the most powerful people in the world have a different outlook on how they work with other people, I think the world is a very, very, very different place. So my goal is that companies do outgrow a place like Indy Hall at a certain point. We're, we're in the middle of an experiment right now. I mentioned we're going through this expansion, and one of the things that we have is we have two teams that have actually grown organically from within Indie Hall. They started as one person, then they were two people, and they're actually hiring from within the Indie Hall community. So this is, you know, this is sort of co-working at its best, is when people come together and they say, we love working together, we're going to start a company, we're going to grow a company. Um, the, the, the problem with them is they don't want to leave. And so now we have to figure out, well, what does the team experience for a team that was grown from the soil of Indy Hall look like. Um, and in having the same conversation of, well, what do you need? I say, I need a private office, why? So I was able to have that conversation with them in a very different way because they have Indy Hall as an understanding. And what we realized was that they don't need a private office. They need private meeting space. 
they actually prefer to have their team spread out and working from their, from their individual desks spread out through the workspace. But when the team needs to come together, they need a place that is theirs. And our existing conference rooms require them to, every time they need to meet, set up. You know, they set up their, you know, their, their, their boards and their projector and all their stuff. And they want a place that they can go in, have a meeting, get work done, do their week, you know, daily stand-up, whatever it is. Um, and so we're basically, I would almost like liken them to study rooms, um, where they're too small for the team to work there all the time. They're just the right size for a team of three to, I think we're setting the upper bound at like seven or eight. Um, to, to have access to a private team room as well. So it's an experiment. We don't know exactly how it's going to go. And we've made that clear to them and say, you're part of an experiment. We're building this based on what you told us you actually need. If it works really well, awesome. If it's a problem, I'm taking it away from you. Because, because ultimately, you know, two companies compared to the entire community, I, you know, this is sort of no contest. I'm not there for those companies. I'm there for the individuals within those companies. Um, and we want to make sure that that's actually, actually even, even possible. Yeah? I have more of a testimony rather than a question. Mm -hmm. um, I have a startup, which is a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. It's an arts, or, arts organization. We're working out of Cincy Coworks. Yep. And just these last six months, we've actually been in development for about 18 months, but these last six months since I've been with Cincy Coworks, we were able to hit those anchor uh, points of having an ad actual address, mm -hmm. physical space. We have space to where when we have meetings with sponsors, <laughs> potential sponsors, we have a space for that. Um, Wi-Fi, we have all of the technology that we need, but then we also have folks that are not within our organization. I say we, it's really me and my board members, but um, having programmers that are just sitting two feet away from me, I don't understand what's going on with my website. Somebody help me look at this. Or have a copywriter who's just down the hall or just a few desks around, uh, down from me. Can you help me? I don't understand how to word this. Can you, you know, help me write this? And she'll, within two seconds, spread something out. So for us as a nonprofit, it has been so valuable. Sure. And being out of a completely different discipline, being around all this creative creative energy. So the point that I'm saying is just because you're not a developer or a designer, you have a startup, surround yourself with those people who have those creative minds that are, are completely opposite from you. Yeah, and, and in fact, you know, we were talking about this a little bit last night. Indie Hall started out dominantly people that looked like me, and I mean that very literally. It was a lot of like young white dudes that were programmers. Um, and. Uh, it took us some time to break out of that mold, and I'm so glad that we did, um, because now we cross, I mean, every single boundary you could possibly imagine from age, gender, uh, 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 industry, a length of time in that industry, levels of experience. It's really, it's really for anyone who can work from anywhere. And the be most beautiful knowledge sharing opportunities come from people that are less like themselves. So we're really good at surrounding ourselves with people that are just like us. Because we talk a common language and we know exactly how each other can help each other. The problem, and that's not a bad thing, by the way. That's that's you know that's a really solid foundation. But where you really blow the lid off the top is when you surround yourself with people that are less like you. And the analogy that I like for this is it's um, it's like a spark plug. Uh, a spark plug has two contacts, and if those contacts are too far away from each other, there's no spark. But if those contacts are touching. There's also no spark. So this is perfect, and it's like it, this, there's no there's no formula here, but there is an ideal gap in knowledge and experience and history and um, 
and things and, and, and uh, outlook and worldview and all these other things. When you have a problem and you share that problem with people just like you, the likelihood of you getting the exact same solution that you already have in your head is extremely high. But when you have a problem and you share it with somebody who comes from a completely different industry, the odds of you getting a completely oddball idea or answer or solution uh, is, is much, much higher, um, but it just might be the one that you actually need. Yeah? Yeah, so we, we have had that. More importantly, the way we structured our membership, um, I mentioned when we started out that we had about 20 members signed. I should point out that only two of them were full-time members and one of them was me. So the majority of our membership wasn't there full-time. And that forced us to really look at our business model and say, well, how are we going to support the place? And we realized there was a lot of people that wanted to be a part of it, but not use it all the time. And so one of the things that we came up with was a basic membership that allowed you to be a member of the community, have some office usage benefits, but it was really more about remaining connected and being able to be a part of it without feeling like a freeloader. If you're coming to events, you know that part of your membership is going to make sure those events can happen. And we had a lot of people that just thought what we were doing was good, and so they wanted to contribute to making sure that what we were doing could continue to happen without us being a nonprofit. We we were just really focused on having that goodwill. Um, what's beautiful about that basic membership is not only the low barrier to entry for somebody who doesn't need a full-time workplace, is it's a way for people that sort of graduate out of the space to stay connected. And so we not only have people that have graduated because their companies grew, we have people that have left for a variety of different reasons. Very few of them are because they didn't like it. Um, you know, life changes, we move away, we get a different job. Um, you know, there's a myriad of things that have caused people to move away, but because they're a part of that community, they don't want to let go. And so it's very easy for them to fall back from a full-time membership where they have you know, their permanent desk, or even one of our flex memberships, to a basic membership where they're paying $25 a month to continue helping us sustain and also continue remaining, uh, you know, ma maintain their membership and stay connected. So we actually have members of co we have members former members that still pay Indie Hall membership that are members of other co-working spaces all around the world. Um, which is uh, you know, a really interesting way for us to be connected to other co-working spaces as well. Um, and you know, I encourage other co-working spaces to try out a basic model. A, because it, it's, a, it's a great way to allow more people into your community, but it's a great way to keep people involved in the community long beyond their need for a desk. Yeah? I'm curious what your day looks like. <laughs> are you helping people do their stuff, or are you more like a manager of a hotel? Sure. No, that's a that's a really good question. Um, so, one, about a year and a half in, um, eh, about a year and a half in, yeah, um, I realized that my days were consumed by making sure Indie Hall was humming along, and I looked at the things that I was doing every day, and I said, a lot of this stuff doesn't need to be me. Um, it needs to be somebody who's you know, smart and capable and friendly and outgoing and a bunch of the things that I am, but doesn't need to be me. Uh, and so I, I set on a mission to find our first hire, which was ultimately someone who was going to be at the office full time, um, but not necessarily work for Indy Hall full time. So the ideal candidate was someone who wanted to be at Indy Hall and either had things that they wanted to do that didn't take up 40 hours a week, or they had enough savings to be able to do this for a little while while they figured out what they wanted to do next. And being able to plug into the Indie Hall community would give them the inspiration, the network, the support to figure out what their next move was. Um, and my goal with that whole thing was to make myself not be a dependency. 
which is probably one of the hardest things when you're creating things. You know, we, we don't intend to, but we create things from a position of ego a lot of times. And it's very, very easy to view ourselves as a piece of the machinery that is completely irreplaceable. And I realized that if I did that, this thing was going to die. Maybe not because I intended to, but because eventually I was going to have to do something else. The bus factor was crazy high on Indy Hall because I was the one that was doing a lot of the sort of under the hood operational things and we had to make that go away. The bus factor, by the way, for the non-programmers is the, uh, how bad it would be if you got hit by a bus. Um, so uh, we, we, I hired this person. She, basically, the way I hired her was a little bit unorthodox as well, where I said, um, I'm not going to tell you exactly what your job is. Your job is to basically shadow me and look for things that I don't have to do and take them away from me because I'm not going to give them up. Um, and she did a great job. She built a program. And ultimately, at the end of that year, found something else that she wanted to do from within the community besides run Indie Hall um, and said, I need you to find me a replacement. And we've managed to cycle that. We're in the fourth generation um, of what we've now sort of institutionalized as a program where our office management is a part-time part person who is present full-time. And their goal is to accomplish something. Um, they either want to improve, you know, we had a guy who took it because he wanted to improve his interpersonal skills. He was kind of shy. And he knew that being forced to interact with all of our members was going to be really valuable for him long term. We had another guy who um, you know, had a psychology degree from Pittsburgh. And when he interviewed, um, apart from showing up in a suit, which was charming but unnecessary, uh, I asked Parker, I said, so what do, you, what do you want to do? What do you like to do? What do you want to do? And he, and he had you know, the psych degree, and it was 2009, and you know, the, that's a crack. <laughs> It's never a great time to have a psych degree in the economy, but that was a particularly bad time. And he had worked everything from like cell phone sales and construction, and, and that's all awesome, but it wasn't what he wanted to do. And so I said, what do you want to do? He goes, I have no idea. I like to you know, play video games and, and, and design t-shirts. And I was like, I don't know what we're going to do with that, but we'll, we'll figure something out, I'm sure. And um, over his year, he, um, he was participating in one of the meetup groups that we hosted, which was a video game developer meetup group. And because he liked video games, he was hanging out with the video game developers. And met a guy who, they, they clicked as people. They got to know each other, trust each other, form a relationship. And Jake said, I really like some of your ideas. What else do you do? And Parker's like, I can draw. Uh, and he's like, cool, we'll brush up your skills. You know, let's work on something together. And, and they, uh, Parker ended up leaving Indie Hall uh, not only in a better place uh, than he came in, but also with a business partner. He started a company, and now they do independent game development, um, as well as he does freelance illustration. So each person has sort of gained something a little bit different. Um, so I just described all the things that I don't do. <laughs> um, what that leaves for me, is, and most importantly, is an opportunity to experience the office like everybody else that works there does. It's my favorite place to go work. Um, I have a slightly different set of responsibilities and then I have to sign checks and you know, I have to take a look at the business side of things on a, on a somewhat regular basis, although we know our patterns and we know, I know how to see a problem before it hits most of the time. Um, we consider growth, we consider how we interact with the community, we consider um, how we interact with the industry and right now we're looking at how do we interact with other co-working spaces and also other corporations. How can we take what we learned from creating an amazing workspace and help other companies make better workplaces for their employees as well. Um, so a lot of my time, apart from uh, sort of the sort of very, very high level operational stuff at Indy Hall, um, is spent thinking about that. We actually teach workshops on how to start and run co-working spaces. Um, 
And then uh, you know, I'm a developer, so I do technology stuff too. Um, and still do the hired guns thing. So at any given time, I'm usually working on like three or four things in addition to Indie Hall, which makes my life kind of crazy and chaotic. And whoever I've hired to work with me is usually a saint because my, my, I, the, the hiring procedure is Similar like when I hired Dana, who was our first office manager, I said, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm going to immerse you in my world of shit, and your job is to make my life better. And uh, for the right person, that's a cool opportunity to learn a lot really fast, um, meet lots of really cool people, and uh, ultimately, if you're hiring the right person in that kind of role, um, they're going to grow as an individual, and the hardest challenge there is keeping them around. Our current guy, I have no idea what I'm going to do when he figures out what he wants to do, because he literally saves my life every day. Um, so. Uh, my days are chaotic, but that's by choice. Um, I, I know it, I love it, I, th I thrive in it. Um, sometimes I make chaos because there isn't enough. Um, but uh, I'd, I'd say that the, the most important part about what my days are is I remembered that I started this co-working space for a reason. I wanted it because I wanted to be around other people. And today, and for the last number of, uh, I guess, two and a half, three years, I've gotten to experience Indie Hall every day, like everyone else there does, with the same joys and opportunities. Um, I have a handful of additional responsibilities, but um, that's been really, really rewarding. Okay. I have to, sorry. No worries. Uh, I've been informed that we're about to get kicked out. Uh, the CAC's got something open at tonight, so. I'm going to be around if anybody wants to continue talking. Please you know, grab me, talk to me. Uh, I'd love to find out more about what you're working on. Um, and if there's anything I can do to help, reach out. Yes, thank you so much for coming down. Thank My you. pleasure. Thank you.